This station is conducting a test of the emergency broadcast system. This is only a test. Look, before we start this episode of the James McMahon Music Podcast, I need to tell you something. I need your help. I need you, when you finish with the episode, to go to the platform you've listened to this podcast on and give me a rating, a review, and to subscribe too. It helps me cheat the algorithm and get more ears on the podcast. And know this, I'm very grateful for it. Also, I have a substack where I write about music and film and telly and all sorts of stuff. I love it if you sign up for dispatches. There are different price options, five quid a month, 50 quid a year, and for that, you get access to loads of exclusive writing and podcasts. It's the most helpful thing you can do to support the stuff I make. And again, I'd be so grateful. That's spook.substack.com. That's spook with three O's. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Thank Jesus. This concludes this test of the emergency broadcast system. Oh, shit. You listen to James McMahon Music Podcast, and I'm your host, James McMahon. And this is a spook. Media Production. Said at one time that if um, your duties as a president came into conflict with your faith, you would. No, no, my conscience. With your conscience. Yes, if I ever thought uh, I could never fill any office with my conscience, conscience. I mean, that, after all, that was our particular argument with the Nazis. That we all have conscience, but not. I've stated in my judgment that there is no uh, conflict. There is no conflict between my responsibilities as a public official, carry out my duties and obligations, and my faith. When George Michael released his debut solo work in 1987's Faith, he embarked on a musical career that was always interesting, often very exciting and testimony to the pop brilliance that most attuned had always heard in him from the moment his prior group, Wham, had come roaring out of bushy Hertfordshire in 1981. It's a very good record, a very sexy one too, with secrets and treasures contained within that has still been revealed to listeners even now. Matthew Horton is one of those rarefied music writers who put their name to a book in the iconic 33 and 3rd series, with him recently penning a book all about said album. So who better than he to have a conversation with about that classic debut album? Okay, there's George, but that's just not possible. And I think you'll agree that Matthew makes for an engaging and informative interviewee. I hope you enjoy listening to this conversation as much as I enjoyed having it. Yeah, so there's there's two reasons I reached out. Really, um, mm. I really I really like speaking to people on the podcast who've read music books, and um, obviously, uh, as a music journalist that hasn't written a thirty three and third book, yeah. I kind of hate you. Um, Fair enough, <laughs> because it's what we all want to do. Uh, but also, Faith is a record that I've always been kind of fascinated by. So, yeah, I sort of thought, well, who better to talk about that record with than yourself? Wonderful, so, yes. So, I, I thought we'd probably start with the. Uh, I guess I'd probably start with the the process. Really, yeah. Why? Why did you? Why did you want to write about Faith? Um, 
Well, it was, a, it was an album that always resonated with me. With me. Um, well, Wham did really, because uh, they kind of go back to, well, back to my childhood. I, I, Wham were one of the first uh, big pop bands to emerge after I started buying records. So um, I guess my my first single was uh, a Dixie Midnight Runners record towards the end of 82, Jackie Wilson said, which was uh, which came out about a month before Wham emerged on top of the pops, at least. Um, they'd They'd been around for Wham Rap before, but I knew nothing about that. If it wasn't in the top 40, I wouldn't have had a clue. Um, so uh, Young Guns Go For It appears on top of the pops when I'm 10 and uh, six months and uh, immediately strike a chord with me. Um, you know, it's joyful. It's lively. It's just pure pop. Um, How old are you at that point? So I'm 10. Um, I'm enjoying a term at boarding school. Right. Or rather, rather not enjoying a term yeah, at boarding yeah, school. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, the only term I ever spent there, because my father was taking too long getting out of the Royal Air Force for us to be able to uh, to move to our new house. Right. But I, uh, yeah, thanks. But I digress. Um, so you, so there you are. I'm kind of hooked in from from the start of Wham's success and uh, um, and buying absolutely everything, uh, all all the singles, all the George Michael the early proto solo singles, and then so I'm with him when uh, when Faith comes out. Um, and, oh, and also he, uh, comes from the same town. I'm from, I was living in Bushy as well at the time when I wasn't at boarding school. So we had that kind of kinship yeah, yeah. that he didn't even know about, but I did. Um, yeah, and- I, I find myself rooting for, for any band that, uh, spent more than about 10 minutes in Doncaster, like, <laughs> yeah, quite. Reg- regardless of whether I like them or not. Yeah. So, um, but I mean, if you, so it was a favorite straight away, Faith was, but, uh, but you know, now we're now we're talking thirty years after, thirty-three years after that. Uh, um, there's there was a more cynical side to it, I guess. It wasn't the first thirty-three and a third I'd pitched in the uh, in the ten, twelve years that they'd had those open calls. I guess uh, I tried it with um, um, Pet Shop Boys Introspective about ten years earlier, and a couple of years after that, I tried with Corner Shops uh, when I was born for the seventh time. And you know, bands I loved and albums I loved and and I, but I, the pictures I was, uh, I guess they were kind of meandering stories about, uh, about the album, about why I liked it, that kind of thing without really getting to the nub of why it'd be an interesting book. Um, and a few years after that, it kind of dawned on me why, well, a, that would be one reason why Bloomsbury or 33 and a third wouldn't have been interested in it because they didn't have some sort of overarching story. Um, but also, um, you know, you need to have, US success really for them to for them to cut through with the publishers. So uh so that was that was one of the reasons why uh, so I was looking for an album I loved and an album that uh, I knew would find an audience there with with the publisher, you know, so there's a, there's an edge to it like that. I I have seen the criteria that is involved to pitch books um for that series and mm. um you know, it's thorough. Um but I sort of imagine that there's this panel of um, this this panel of like men in sort of druidesque cloaks that yeah. uh, look at them all on some sort of uh, stone tablet table, and that's how they make the decisions, right? Yeah, well, that's exactly it. Yeah, yeah, they told me all that afterwards. Yeah, they, right, uh, right, they, course, they let me course. see see the pictures of the fires and all that. Yeah, yeah. And um, one of the interesting things about Faith is that, well, you know, George talks about really how he, you know, his frustration that or ambition, really, that he mm. wanted to be talked about in the same breath as Prince and Michael Jackson, and that maybe 
maybe he wasn't like embarrassed by Wham, but he was like frustrated, you know, by the sort of perception of them as like a teeny bopper band. Yes. How did you feel when Wham split up? Was that? I mean, you. I imagine you were at an age that that was quite a seismic thing. Yeah, it was. It was. So they split up. But, well, they announced the split. I was thirteen, I guess. So it was, yeah, it was just um, just after I was fourteen. They split, and they yeah, it was huge. But he was uh, he was clever about it, wasn't he? He had he'd already laid the groundwork for his solo career, so he knew he wasn't going anywhere. And anyone who was paying him the attention knew that Andrew, um, bless him for all for all he mattered for the uh, for the Wham image and to give uh, George the confidence he needed to do what he did. That it wasn't going to change uh, really the uh, the quality of the output so to speak so i wasn't worried about what what was going to happen next there and also um george michael always had uh, a very strong sense of event of of, of making a, a big thing out of every record out of what he was going to do and we were given so much warning about wham splitting you know it was maybe about six months before the final concert that he had uh, he'd announced what the single was going to be and how it was going to be a gatefold double single called the final parts one and two, you know, and you, so you felt like you were along for the ride and it was uh, a big event to celebrate. I mean, you can fill in some gaps for me here because I'm, mm. um, I'm a little bit, you know, I'm a little bit younger than you. So Wham were, I mean, I, I, I wasn't really bothered about music at the time. You know, I was kicking, sure. a, I was kicking a football around. Wham was like a, a band that like the girls in the playground liked and therefore I had no interest in them at all. But what, at what point do, at what point do people look at Wham and go, Oh, actually there is this amazing songwriter as part of that duo. Like at what point what does almost like kind of credibility come to the way that George is perceived? Um, what, at what point in the career, um, yeah. in his career? Yeah. Um, I think, uh, it's careless whisper. It's the, uh, the, is the one that had the seismic effect that made people sit up and take notice. You know, that was, that was one that reached beyond the, uh, the teeny boppers, or whatever, which I, which I, you know, I guess I was, um, and suddenly had, uh, grown ups paying attention or, um, serious artists, you know, that's, uh, talking to people in, in the book, you know, they, they, uh, make a big thing. A few people make a big thing of, of that, obviously, but also about how, um, well, there's Paul Gambaccini was one of the people I spoke to because he had, uh, you know, overarching view of his career, um, and was a friend, but he, um, he was also very interested in, uh, in the U S charts and U S artists. And they were talking to him about George Michael at that point, you know, he was telling me about Ray Parker Jr. Marveling at, uh, Guilty feet have no rhythm. I was saying, what a lyric! And they're, you know, and they're, um, and also they're all his peers are all marvelling over um, George's soul voice and uh, and his uh, yeah his blue eyed soul voice and his ability to cut through in that in that direction. And uh, so I think that was it. I mean, Wham carried on um, clearly simultaneously with the with the pop hits, um, but they uh, I don't know they had a they still had a classic feel even then. You know, freedom comes. A couple of months after Careless Whisper doing its doing its Motown thing, so it's 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 cutting through the generations as well. Um, and um, yeah, that's it. It's, it's, it's Careless Whisper that's the catalyst uh, that makes people think he's a serious artist. I mean, the the framing of um, Faith is genius, you know, with the like o- opening with the kind of orchestral version of Freedom. I think is just like so meta. It's amazing, yeah. but. I think it's like 
kind of I I, I I I don't know what it was like at the time, but kind of like knowing kind of how George's life kind of played out, it's sort of impossible not to say that there's a lot of faith which is filthy. Yeah, um, w- was that obvious at the time? Yeah, and hugely disapproved of. You know, even right. even in the contemporary pop press, uh, smash hits, for instance, uh, they uh, they weren't happy at all with. Uh, with how smutty George has become of late. That's that's one of one of the quotes from a review. You know, and that's uh I mean that's that's from I want your sex, I guess. I don't think there's anything really before that. Yeah, I think no, that's that's putting I want your sex and then Faith the single, you know, which uh, obviously mentions um your body and things like that. It was, you know, clearly clearly crossing a line in uh, in a young pop artist. Um and uh but then you've got the moral outrage as well, you know, you've got your Mary Whitehouse's uh um Putting up their uh, skirts, it's uh, I want your sex's message and lyrics, although the message, that wasn't the message that uh, George was claiming he was putting across. He wasn't just saying, go out there and shag everyone. No, it was, it was, it was a safe sex song. Right, right. Was, That's was what any, he claimed afterwards, anyway. Was anyone trying to out him or was... Uh... Yeah, I mean, I wasn't reading the tabloids myself at the time, um, but... Uh, um, but they were, you know, looking looking back, they they all were. There, there's all sorts of uh, there are hints, and I mean, uh, and of his contemporaries, uh, Boy George was trying to do it the entire time, you know, in his uh, little catty asides, little hints, sort of thing. But uh, nothing ever stuck, as far as I'm aware. You know, I mean, I was, you know, putting myself back at that that point. I'm I'm reading I'm reading Smash Hits, and I'm, then I'm reading Record Mirror. Um, so Smash It might hint at it, but it's just having a bit of fun with it. And Rekomira wouldn't be uh, touching that angle at all. Would was uh, interviewing him seriously about the messages behind "I Want Your Sex" and etc. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. With, what, how important is the title track? I mean, it is a banger. Yeah. Um, well, I think it totally reframes him. Um, it's not uh, something you'd put in a in a synth pop mold which i guess is, is is where he was where he was before you know it's uh it's, it's, like, Bo, uh, it's like Bo diddley that really it is yeah and and you know and he he takes the image as well so he's he's, he's got his uh rock and roller image and uh and uh leaning against the world it's a jukebox and everything like that he's uh he's uh he's capturing that that angle that that audience um and it's uh um oh it's well it's it, it certainly made people um, sit up and take notice. I think that was a, a review I uh, I quoted on Twitter the other day. There was uh, um, it was reviewed in Record Mirror that single. And it was reviewed by that Petrol Emotion, you know, the older spin-off group from the Undertones, and uh, who were just you know you can even just just reading their words there, you can see they're sitting there open mouth going, "This is George Michael." You know, it's right. not what we expected at all. But it's uh, yeah. But uh, I like, I like what you're saying about you know the, the sort of the meta intros to it with uh, with with the organ. You know, it's a it's a nice touch of uh, splitting with the past and uh, and uh, setting himself out of the future. Although not deliberate, I don't think. Um, I mean, the organ bit. There's there's a good story in the book. One, one, people should read the book. Um, I'm definitely going to front end this and back end this with by the book. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't yeah. don't worry if there's I, any spoilers. I, I, I won't try to sell. That's uh, I mean that's uh, that's his keyboard player, um, Chris Cameron, who's just uh, at that point having a chat with him in the studio, um, saying, 
just an aside, you know, do you, you know your song Freedom? Have you ever thought, I've always thought the chords are like Marlarian, you know, just like Gustav Mahler, that, that, that kind of feel. And he, and he starts playing it to demonstrate, playing it slowly there on his keyboard. It's been recorded at the time and had no idea until he heard the, uh, the finished record that uh, George had listened to this and gone, that's a good idea, you know, like just that. slap that on the start. Oh, no, I love that. I love those, that. Yeah, those are lovely things, yeah. Um. How I've got to say, I've got to say on faith. I worked at Kerrang for too long yeah. to not have kind of had that song kind of ruined by Limp Biscuit. Sure, uh, that was something that was on the stereo far too much of my liking. Um, what? Uh, how important is MTV as well? I always kind of think that music release in this era. Um, I mean, George was kind of built for it, really, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, he was. Uh, so he's he's hooked up with that from the very start. He's he's very very conscious of image um and uh fairly consistent with image as well you know i mean if you're looking back at uh the uh early wham videos and he's uh i mean he's he's even back then he's cavorting around in a leather jacket with nothing on underneath you know and uh just the same as he is on the faith sleeve you know that's uh um how he's portraying himself and uh was it the video for faith that that look that was that was him at the time um, the director was saying that uh, he, uh, George, just dressed like that the entire time. He just just went round with his uh, with his suede winkle pickers and his, and and tight jeans, leather jacket, and shades. That was that was his uh, his uniform for daily life. Um, but yeah, I mean that's that's how you that's how you cut through in the states at that point for sure. In the uh, in the mid eighties, you needed you needed a strong image. You needed uh, the fun videos. They needed to get across to people that way. And he uh, he wrote that. I my favourite song on the record is Hard Day and I was actually I texted a friend of mine who's a who's a like an eighties pop affectionado just half an hour ago and I said uh, I, I said I have no idea who does the rap on this song and then I did a bit of reading and it's him right it's, yeah yeah it's almost like a sort of Prince Camille kind of vibe exactly it yes that was what I was putting to the engineer um, Chris Porter who you know he's uh, although George Michael's the, the producer on the record um, Chris Porter as his engineer is you know he's the guy he's the guy on the knobs um, helping him realise his his vision on that and uh, and he said that George was extremely influenced by Prince at the time you know well he not so much wanted to be him but certainly wanted to to compete on that level and to and Prince as an auteur as uh, there at the cutting edge is is making sounds that you know everyone wants to emulate and uh so although chris chris Porter says that george doesn't come in going i want to sound like prince he knows that's that's where he's coming from on that and you know that's what they say uh he says about the that camille type bit it's uh it's on a mitsubishi sampler that it's very sped up and then down again like that, you know no they recorded it slow and then and then, and then sped up after that um but yeah, that's that's what he's going for. And that yeah, kind that's... of dry feel. And Hard Day is the one song on the uh on the album that is all George, you know. It's 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 like a Prince approach as well as a good oh, sound. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, I love that song. Absolutely. Yeah. When I, when I relayed that to my friend, I said, Oh, apparently it's it's George. It, it, it blew his yeah. mind. Um my other favourite is uh Looking at Hands, which is a, a co-writer, mm. isn't it? And I don't know anything uh, about David Austin. Who was David Austin? Um, he was his other best pal. Um, so from from way back, they were he was in uh, in early bands with uh, George and Andrew back in back in Bushy, and uh, and he uh, when they were 
when they split the executive and they were they were they were trying to uh, get wham together um david uh well, I mean, it took a while. It took a while for, as far as when you're a teenager, you want everything to happen all at once, you know. And I, I think, think for him, it was taking far too long to come together. And he 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 headed off on a jaunt to the Middle East, and he said to George, "You know, this is never going to happen, you know." And uh, so I'm off, you know. But uh, um, by the time he came back from his round the world trip, you know, they were on top of the pops. Well, they had their top of the pops booking, and he was there. And so David's uh, he's there playing guitar on Young Guns on Top of the Pops. He's there on later things like Bad Boys the next year. Um, I was looking at MTV, had a thing last night, a sort of wham countdown, and I was obviously watching that. And uh, I'd forgotten, but he's in the Edge of Heaven video. So right at the end, even though he'd, he'd gone off and tried to have a solo career in the meantime, David David Austin had, which was uh, never coming together. But he was always, uh, he was always on, the, on the fringes. There's uh, when uh, Andrew Ridgely had his, had his nose job in... Uh, what about 84 when he turned up in, in the press with the great bandages across his nose, across his forehead, you know, typical post nose job look. They, uh, they said, no, he hasn't had a nose job. We were, um, we're in a bar. We're all, it was all got a bit raucous and David was there and he's swinging the champagne ice bucket around and it hit Andrew in the face, you know, so he's, he's had to have an op, you know, he's always there in the, in the story. Um, and, uh, um, and, the, and the, I mean, he's still there now. He's, he basically runs the commercial side of the estate, works with Sony Music on the, uh, on all the re-releases. You know, he's, uh, mm. he's been a close friend, good pal. And, you know, he's uh, looking after his legacy. So what he doesn't have, he doesn't have a Wikipedia page. Oh, that's, that's a shame. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm, I'm working on that, but yeah. <laughs> he, yeah. he, uh, but to bring it around to look at your hands, um, it's a co-write really because that was going to be, the next attempt at breaking David Austin as a as a solo star, you know, George was very loyal to his pal. He's always trying to get him um, get him out there. Um, well, oh, right, right. loyal to an extent, in the sense that uh, they're working on this track. And uh, I mean, when Rolling Stone came to visit to see how uh, how George was getting along with the solo stuff, David Fricks in the uh, in the studio with him talking about, and George is working on, you know. Um, David Austin's uh, solo single, you know, I don't know how this will turn out. And then a couple of weeks later, George has nabbed it for himself and has, uh, has uh, taken it over, over to Denmark to uh, to work on for the album. But, I, still, um, I, I still think yeah. knowing what I know about the music business, that's fairly loyal. <laughs> it is. I mean, you know, that's uh, that's another thing. I mean, this, I, all this obviously is uh, peppered across the book, but there's uh, Paul Gummersall, who's one of the engineers, one of... Uh, Chris Borders' assistants, he uh, he said, you know, apparently David was really narked off about this, you know, but but I wouldn't have been, you know, he made a hundred times more out of it, you know, just yeah. being a co-writer on the album, yeah, you know, totally. maybe he still dreamed of solo superstar. It's it's kind of wild, uh, you know. George is obviously cock a hoop that it uh, goes to that, you know, he's a white solo artist and it goes to number one in the Black Albums chart, the Billboard Black Albums chart. Mm. I, kind of wild that to me. Um, I don't know whether that's because, you know, we live in an age where it feels like we see so much things through race. Yeah. But like was that significant in the in the eighties or um I imagine like I, I can understand his excitement about that, but I, I, I mm. guess like what did that mean at the time? Obviously, there was serious de- demarcations, particularly in the states. You know, having all those charts, they uh, it it is a kind of segregation, really. Um, although you know, it's, it's not like black artists obviously weren't banned from the uh, from the mainstream charts, but uh, um, they obviously felt they uh, that you know the uh, Billboard powers obviously felt that it needed its its niche. He he um, 
Well, the way he would tell it at the time, George Michael, he would he, he thought it was ridiculous that, you know, do I have to be black to be in the in the in the black charts? You know, which was a kind of uh, fundamental misunderstanding, really, of what it was. I, th- I think, but he uh, um, he wanted to cross over to that audience. He wanted to be in that. That was the way to cross over to that audience, or you know, chicken and egg sort of scenario. Anyway, you. Uh, um, if you were crossing over, you'd get into that chart, but it it, uh, it pushes itself. But um, he, uh, yeah, he thought it was ridiculous, but there's a kind of disingenuous quality to that, really. Um, he just wanted to break through to those audiences. He didn't feel like, I didn't, well, I've, 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 I've obviously never met him, couldn't say for sure, but I don't think he really believed that he had a right to be there as such. He just uh, yeah, yeah, didn't want those barriers. No, there's there's a quote that's in Jet magazine uh, where he says that you know the the music is the new music is more overtly sexual, more black, which is like one of those statements that like mm. is like really well intentioned, but like you <laughs> sort of like just pull it apart all day long, yeah. you yeah. know. Um, but you know, different different times. Uh, that's right. Do you feel like uh, do you feel like George got better with his solo work, or do you feel like this is the peak? Um, I think, you know, on a personal basis, I probably prefer Listen Without Prejudice overall as a, as, as a record. I think it just speaks to me a little bit more. I don't know, maybe I think it's my, uh, uh, I, maybe I prefer a, a sad tune to an overtly uh, happier one, but, um, and Listen Without Prejudice is definitely strewn with those. Um, but I think after that, um, I think, think he doesn't improve as such old is a great album but it's uh it's a particular type I, yeah I'm, I'm coming at this from a very personal angle to be honest because uh it, it's a little too sleek and tasteful um rather than as uh out there as faith is or as uh inspired melodically as i find listen without prejudice to be um but um you know there are reasons for that hell of a debut hell of a debut yeah um well, that was lovely. I feel like I learned lows there. Um, what are you working on now? Can you tell me? Well, I have a day job, unfortunately, you know, which uh, which is working for a large uh, um, TV and broadband company running their promotions. So uh, that, that, that takes up a lot of my time. That, yeah. sounds, that sounds like it pays for way more than music journalists. <laughs> well, yeah, that, that's the problem, really. Yeah, I had to I had to make that uh, that decision a few years back when... Uh, when the bottom is obviously dropping out of uh, getting a lot of money for freelance music journalism, but still, no, I, still yeah. it drops. Still, it drops. Still, it does. But I, I mean, I've got. Um, I have an idea for another book, but mm. um, but uh, well, it's not that I. It's I feel it's a confidential idea because no one's because I haven't presented it to anyone yet. But I'm not sure if it's an incredibly stupid idea. So I, I, I prefer no one to tell me that it's a stupid idea before I've worked on it. You know what I mean? I, I, I mean, I'll be honest with you. I think. There's a really thin line between stupid ideas and and genius yeah. ideas. You know what I mean? So, uh, I would uh, I'd, I'd flesh it out and see see where you get to. Absolutely, yeah. Thank you, Matthew. Thanks so much for your time, man. It's been a joy. Thank you. Well, that was episode eighty-one. Thanks to Matthew for the chat. The theme tune is by the band Jobbers. And I'll see you soon.
I was thinking, <laughs> actually, when I look back on it, it was pathetic. I was sitting there thinking, I'm so lucky that no one's been arrested this afternoon mm -hmm. apart from me, mm -hmm. right? Because I was thinking, you know, you never know. Maybe it won't get out. <laughs> right? Right. This is like... <laughs> Seven hours later, I've got helicopters flying around my house and oh, hundreds my of people in the street. So, so you